0: failure. The system failure. On the other side of the island, we found a place much like this.
1: And in this place, we found a book. I believe what's inside there will be of great value to you. hello everyone matt here and welcome to looking back at lost where each week i look at another episode of abc's lost to see how that episode fits into the series as a whole today i'll be covering episode 209 entitled what kate did this is the 33rd overall episode and there are a mere 88 to go goes by so fast I'll start with the briefest of mentions for the uh, PH Geek podcast, which is uh, something I'm doing with a couple other people from phgeek.com. Uh, we kind of talk about various uh, geeky topics and uh, phgeek.podbean.com or a PH Geek podcast on iTunes. So I'll, I'll leave the plugging at, uh, at that for, for right now. Uh, now let's get to some feedback and uh, finally, after all it took was 33 podcast episodes Finally, someone has uh, sent in a, uh, a voice message with their iPhone, which is something I used to ask for, and, uh, and uh, well, here it is from a uh, familiar voice to the podcast.
0: Hey Matt, this is Daniela from the Netherlands, and I just wanted to let you know that The 48 Other Days is one of my favorite episodes in Lost. Uh, in most series, I like the episodes where they do it just a little bit different, so and that uh, they definitely do that in this episode so just wanted to let you know keep up keep up the good work bye bye
1: thank you very much danielle for sending that in um yeah you know i think uh the other 48 days is a favorite of of many many people uh in part because it finally gives uh you know it gives you so much information so quickly uh which is certainly not the lost style um and indeed, uh, I got an email from Bonnie who uh, had had similar things to say about the other 48 days. Um, she said it's a favorite episode of hers and uh, that she was anticipating the podcast on it. And then she goes on to say, as many times as I've seen the episode, I never clued into the absence of music being what makes Michelle Rodriguez's portrayal of Anna Lucia so raw. Uh, and I think that she's referring to the scene where... Uh, where Anna Lucia finally does uh, accuse Goodwin of being uh, a bad win, so to speak, and uh, they just play it as, you know, play it without music, play it without, you know, any, any sound effects or anything like that. They just kind of, I don't know, they just play it for what it is, and it's kind of this, this shocking moment. So quite a, quite a good episode. And last but certainly uh, not least is uh, a bit of uh, feedback from iTunes, uh, where John Kaplan had this to say quality over quantity five stars Uh, and he went on to say matt's show is the only lost podcast i have heard that has only one host yet uh is easily the most informative and entertaining illustrating that multiple hosts don't necessarily make a better show matt has great insight regarding lost plot points that at least once a week make me think you know i never thought of that he has great passion for the show and is my one link to being able to relive the show and enjoy a fresh perspective." He has different opinions than mine, but I love comparing and contrasting his opinions with mine. Matt chooses great clips and is honestly interested in feedback to improve his show. So thank you very much for those kind words there, John. Uh, it's always a huge treat to see uh, to see feedback on iTunes. It's a huge treat to be uh, hearing from people on Twitter, uh, hearing people via email, uh, etc. Uh, hearing people send in voice comments either through the... Uh, voicemail line or through uh use of an iphone or other uh, other phone and emailing it that way so you know it's uh i, I love doing the podcast each week it's uh, a great deal of fun uh certainly there's every now and then it feels like a chore but uh especially i don't know i don't like recording those clips that uh john mentions but uh I, you know i kind of don't like taking the time to do them but uh <laughs> still as i'm as i'm taking my notes for the episode i still uh Still, make a point to write down the times and go back and record them anyway so it's all it's all great fun i'm glad uh, people are enjoying it and uh well before people check out and just listen to me pat myself on the back let's now focus on this episode 209 what kate did and we have an episode summary read by lorraine
0: flashbacks kate austin kills her stepfather wayne jansen by blowing up his house Kate confronts her mother, Diane Austin. Kate reveals that she took out an insurance policy under Diane's name. Later, Kate attempts to buy a ticket to Tallahassee when she is arrested by United States Marshal Edward Mars, revealing that her mother had turned her in. On a country highway during a rainy night, Mars is driving a handcuffed Kate to her arraignment in Iowa, when suddenly a black horse passes in front of the car, causing Mars to crash. When Mars, momentarily stunned by the opening of the driver's airbag, Kate grabs the handcuff keys and escapes. Kate then visits a U.S. Army recruiting station and meets her father, Sergeant Major Sam Austin. As Kate approaches his desk, Saeed's arrest in the airport is shown on the television in the background. Kate tells Sam that she recently discovered that he was her stepfather and Wayne was her biological father. Sam reveals that he had known this all along, but hid the truth because he feared that Kate would kill Wayne if she ever found out. He informs Kate that he must call the authorities, but agrees to give her a one-hour head start. On the island, in the hatch, Jack watches over Sawyer. Meanwhile, Kate is collecting fruit in the jungle. She is shocked to see a black horse standing in the undergrowth. She returns to the hatch to attend to Sawyer and the computer so Jack can attend Shannon's funeral. At the funeral, Saeed tries to say a few words but can only declare that he loved her before walking away. At the hatch, Kate tells an unconscious Sawyer that she saw a horse outside. Suddenly, Sawyer grabs her by the neck and says, You killed me? Why did you kill me? Jack and Locke later return to the catch to find the alarm blaring, Sawyer on the floor, Kate nowhere to be seen. Jack tracks Kate down and accosts her for leaving the hatch. In the ensuing confrontation, Kate suddenly kisses Jack. However, she immediately runs away. Saeed discovers Kate sitting at Shannon's grave. She apologizes for missing the funeral and confesses that she thinks she's going crazy, to which Saeed replies that he saw Walt in the jungle just before Shannon was shot and asks if that makes him crazy too. In The Hatch, Michael asks Locke about the blast door in the ceiling, which Locke admits he had noticed. Locke shows the Dharma Initiative orientation film to Michael and Echo, and then explains that he has set up Two person shifts every six hours to enter the code. Michael asks to inspect the equipment and Locke agrees. Later, Echo calls Locke aside and after leading in with the story about Josiah and the book found during Josiah's rule, reveals a hollowed out Bible which contains a small reed of film, which was found by tail section survivors in the Dharma Arrow station. Locke unrolls part of the reel and recognizes Dr. Marvin Candle. Back at the hatch, Kate, believing that Wayne's ghost has somehow possessed Sawyer's body, confesses aloud that she killed him after finding out that he was her biological father. It was too much to bear for her to know that the man whom she had hated would always be a part of her. Following Kate's confession, Sawyer awakes as his normal self, and his comments reveal that he heard the whole conversation. She shows Sawyer around the hatch before taking him outside. As the two talk, the black horse reappears. Sawyer reveals that he can see the horse as well. Kate approaches and pets it, and after a moment the horse walks back into the jungle. Echo and Locke splice the film from the book back into the main real film. Main film reel, excuse me. They watch the missing section of the film in which Dr. Candle expands on his warning that the computer is to be used only to enter the code. He explains that while the isolation of the swan may tempt one to use the computer to communicate with the outside world, such action could lead to another incident. While examining the computer equipment, Michael hears a strange beeping from the computer. The computer seems to be receiving messages. When Michael types his name on the screen, there is a delayed response, and the computer then reads, Dad?
1: Thank you very much, Lorraine, for that wonderful uh, episode summary there. And with that, let's now get, after almost ten minutes of lead-up, into my thoughts about the episode. Uh, I was very relieved that they didn't have a previously unlost, Lost, uh, particularly knowing that this is a Kate episode, because that means that they were not... Uh, recapping and rehashing the business about Kate's stupid plane, which has so vexed me in the past. Uh, with the episode opening proper, uh, it's a little bit cheeky, but it, it is also the definition of acting. I think also the definition of uh, oh, you know, uh, the power of uh, the power of film and television, the how it can be wordless, uh, sh- because of course shirtless Jin uh, walks out of his tent, approaching the new day. Then you see Slinky's son, uh, who's clearly been sated by a night of marital bliss. Um, and then Hurley, a few tents over, kind of pops his head out and uh, gives a good job, my man, nod to Jin. Uh, this is a scene that a five year old could watch with no concerns. Um, this is a scene that someone a bit older and a bit more, significantly more experienced in the world, you understand what's going on. You. We know, we know what happened in between the last episode uh, of Jin and Son being reunited uh, as new uh, new people whose uh, dynamic uh, between each other has changed, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We know what's happened since that episode now, so Lost handles it uh, directly to a certain degree. I mean, we understand, but uh, they also handle it tactfully, especially bearing in mind that this is network TV at... 8 o'clock in the evening. So anyhow, they go from that happy moment, uh, of course, in lost fashion. They move to, uh, you know, the scene goes from Bittersweet as we see Saeed from the distance digging Shannon's grave. Uh, and with that, we're off to the hatch. There's recap dialogue from Jack about Sawyer pulling a bolt out of his shoulder, about Kate caring for him. Uh, then Sawyer sets up the nice love triangle just just in time to uh, kick off the uh, kick off this episode. We are of course in the the teaser act, so we're supposed to get hooked for the hooked for the night, hooked for the next hour by the things that go on here. And Sawyer sets up that love triangle, saying that he loves Kate. Of course, he's saying it kind of from his recovery stupor, so it's. It's not meant to be necessarily taken as, as gospel, but that's what he says anyway. And boom, with that, we're off to the races. Um, we, <laughs> literally so, because we cut to Kate, uh, who sees her black horse. Uh, the music is briefly creepy, then mysterious. And looking back to me, uh, it's, it's excellent. We get the tiniest flavor of it being something negative before it just becomes plain weird. Uh, this is, after all, the man in black that we're looking at it's it's uh, I I think there's a little question um, that uh, you know kind of posts some mind scan that uh, perhaps Kate doesn't know had occurred in in the sleep in the woods in the sleep in her sleep in the woods whatever it might be uh, he's kind of pulled out this little um, this little nugget in order to you know again just to kind of manipulate we that's a lot of what we see from the man in black is uh, manipulation. It's tugging at people. It's tugging at the edge of the the, the island. The people on the periphery. Uh, why is that? Well, looking ahead, let's see. There's the sonic fence that keeps him out of some of the the best parts, and you know, from from battling some of the best people. Uh, he, uh, you know, he obviously can't attack Jacob directly. So there's kind of you know sometimes he kills, uh, and I would think that sometimes the killing that he does is just um, kind of rage-filled. That's the sense I get. Uh, at the death of the pilot back in the pilot episode, ironically, uh, the uh, the the men in the Black Rock who get pulled out off-screen uh, in in season six. Uh, I suppose it would be was that Abby Turno or across the sea? I guess it was across the sea. Um, so, I mean, certainly we're looking ahead, but just the point being, uh, we're looking at the man in black here, somebody who's just trying to, you know, it's not manipulating her with the the apple from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It's not manipulation quite on that scale, but it's just kind of, let's get a read on this person. Let's, you know, maybe she's, let's just kind of see what's going on, see what they'll do, much as he presented himself to uh, to Jack in the form of uh, Christian Shepherd, uh all those episodes ago. So, anyhow uh back to this episode in particular in the first flashback uh we have of course drunken stepdad who's complimenting Kate on her beauty and asking her to take his pants off uh, it's clearly meant to be uh a creepy creepy scene a troubling scene uh i know that uh in in previous emails that Bonnie has sent and that i believe i've shared on the podcast uh she has read into it um well, certainly, there's the implication of uh, of sexual abuse here. Not to kind of take take the show on a down note here, not to take the podcast on a down note, but she saw uh, Bonnie did, as I recall, kind of, kind of the implication of sexual abuse. To me, there's kind of the implication of of I mean, I don't mean to laugh, but there's the implication of of the stepfather uh, being interested to go down that road. But, but um, that not having occurred yet. Either way, uh, it's not definitive one way or the other. And either way, clearly we're meant to just see him as a complete dirtbag. Um, that said, I'm glad that they didn't uh, do some sort of recap uh, relating to this. Uh, we, we can remember, of course, uh, in the last uh, Kate episode that we saw, we heard from nine-year-old Kate on tape. Uh, uh, talking about, you know, uh, I think it was to, to Tom, right, who, isn't the doctor's name, the boyfriend? I apologize for not knowing that. But, um, well, her boyfriend at nine years old, the one that goes on to be the doctor, who's uh, the man she loved, the man she loved, the man she killed. But anyhow, I'm glad that they didn't kind of go back to that. It would have it been too much. Um, because perhaps, you know, perhaps uh, I mean, certainly uh, abuse of some sort is being implied by 9-year-old Kate on tape. Uh even if it's and I say even, in quotes, cuz it still is still is awful, but even if it is just the uh the the knocking around that uh Wayne the stepdad uh, gives the mother, but uh I hope none of this is coming off as glib. I mean, you know, certainly Wayne's a bad a bad guy. There's no doubt to that, but um Anyhow, they they kind of go the slightly more subtle route in this, in setting him up as as a you know a creeper, um, and indeed for for a show that has black monsters black smoke monsters that eat people, uh, sometimes subtlety is the way to go. And I'm glad here they do. Um, as for not subtle though, we quickly we quickly learn even in this pre credit teaser sequence, which normally does not. You know, in, in, in drama in general, the, the first act generally doesn't give us tons of answers. But nonetheless, we learned the meaning of this episode title. What did Kate do? She blew stepdad to smithereens. Baboom! that's it. Uh, kudos to uh, the episode helps us understand why she did it. But I think that we don't completely sympathize. Once again, we have a Kate episode that paints her in shades of gray. Um the abuse that's implied by the stepdad is indeed awful. Um, hurting hurting mom's wrist and commenting on Kate's beauty do seem to be the the tip of the iceberg to some degree, whether it's past actions or or future intent that Wayne, the stepdad, has. But I think that many of uh I mean, many of us clearly would not take the route of blowing up the house, of setting up a life insurance policy. Or was it a What was that? House insurance. Either way, setting up an insurance policy that the mom can reap benefit from. Uh, Even kind of by TV rules, right? I mean, we kind of, uh, you know, there's a certain, um, uh, for example, we completely sympathize with Sawyer finally killing the real Mr. Sawyer, a.k.a. Anthony Cooper, by throwing the chain around his neck and choking him to death. We completely sympathize for what that guy has done to Sawyer, for what that guy has done to Locke, et cetera. You watch that on TV, you say, okay, yes, I buy it. I'm behind it 100%. Is that the choice that most of us would do? Would we have the the guts, if you want to call it that, or the wherewithal, or the but whatever word you want to use to describe it? Would Would you have the ability to take someone's life like that in real life, irrespective of the approval that you might give while sitting on the couch watching watching a TV show? I don't know. But nonetheless, there are some of these that you approve of. I would argue, to bring it back to this episode, could be a long podcast, guys. I'm, I'm rambling a tad. I hope that's <laughs> hope not a problem. Anyhow, to bring it back to this episode, I think that we see Kate not as the, the heroine who has uh, freed herself and her mother from awful abuse, but rather somebody who you know, fought a terrible fire with, you know, an atom bomb, essentially. So again, I hope I don't sound like I'm uh, protecting, you know, dirtbag old Wayne here. But anyhow, we go back to the hatch for a bit of exposition. Uh, And I wonder what it must be like for Josh Holloway to be playing Sawyer in these episodes. You wake up in the morning, you slap on some shoulder makeup for the wound, uh, you know, to make the wound look believable or Rather the makeup people do, but you just kind of you sit there briefly while they put on you know a fairly simple a fairly simple prosthetic. Um, you throw in a pair of jeans. Uh, you haven't needed to shave for the scene because men don't don't generally shave on the show unless it's your flashback. Um, I don't know how much makeup any of the actors wear, given that they're supposed to look uh, less than you know less than perfect, not kind of the the ideal because they are all beat up and and whatnot. But anyhow, you wake up you get your shoulder prosthetic on, you throw in a pair of jeans and you lay there for your scenes while other people have to remember dialogue and deliver it and remember the blocking and move from here to there. They need to reset the light for how they're going to shoot in this corner, that corner. Meanwhile, he's just laying there. If he's a little, uh, uh, not as well lit as he should be. Well, you know, he's sleeping. He has a fever. So, uh, anyhow, we, uh, we move on to Shannon's funeral And we've mentioned before, well, I've mentioned before how uh, occasionally the show will get these fantastic shots kind of of nature on the beach that just works so well. And it's so good here that I had to wonder it's either computer generated or it's just luck, but nonetheless, or perhaps I suppose there's uh, there's a third option. They, they saw the opportunity and, and, and captured it intentionally. But there's gray behind everyone, gray skies behind everyone as they walk towards the camera, towards the, the the graveyard. But the sun is on their right off camera, but the sun nonetheless, bright sunshine, is lighting everyone. Um, and I mean, you know, which obviously kind of fits the, the notion of the scene. It's kind of gray skies in the back of everyone's mind uh, as they're heading to this funeral. And it's poignant, too, that uh, once the we kind of fully see the wide shot at the uh, at the um, the graveyard. Uh, the the shot is composed to have Boone's grave marker in that wide shot. No need to comment on it. No need to do a uh, uh, a close up or or whatnot. Certainly doesn't benefit the seat the, the scene at hand to mention the Boone is there. But there it is anyway, and there's the um, you know the added. Uh, irony that uh, we have uh, stepbrother and stepsister buried next to each other. Which, of course, only uh, is completely done after Shannon is buried.
0: Shannon and I were strangers. We never would have met if... We wouldn't even have spoken if... we did meet and we did speak <laughs>
1: at least i love that there is your there is perhaps the, the the final moment where that that loves the dress until the finale but there it is there it is and it's uh you know it's sad and it's wonderful uh i'll mention too oftentimes when, when i'm doing these clips um if there's a long bit of dialogue it's oftentimes punctuated by uh pauses sometimes long pauses perhaps there's fiddling with the prop or there's uh reaction shots this sort of thing um Usually I cut those out just because uh, you know the clip obviously is going to be dialogue driven unless it is a musical clip. Um, long pauses there in that Saeed clip but the Jacquino music is just so wonderful that uh, I just thought I'd let it breathe. And um, you kind of get a sense too of just, you know, that's, there's acting. There, it, I mean, it, it, it might take 20 seconds for somebody to rattle off that dialogue but uh, Naveen Andrews, Stretches it as part of his performance, not for vanity, not for screen time, but just because he's wrestling with the the, the death of this uh, this young woman that he loved so much, and uh, just nicely done, nicely done. Anyhow, back to we go back to the hatch at that point for Sawyer to have a fever dream moment uh, to attack Kate, uh, which is a great way, of course, to end the act up on the tension. Uh, we return with the uh, button siren blaring, which is also a great way for us to be reminded of the the perceived jeopardy of the button. Now, I don't kind of say perceived jeopardy because they're wrong. Of course, there is the jeopardy if you don't push it. But, you know, upon first viewing, we don't know one way or the other. But this is their way of saying, hey, the characters might have, uh, you know, be unsure, but... When that alarm goes off, people get really nervous, and people only do one thing they put the they put the code in. So, of course, that that tension is drawn out just long enough for Locke to put the numbers in with one second to spare. Uh, of course, it makes us wonder what happens if you if you miss putting the numbers in. And it's, uh, I think just, I think it's a semi blatant way of saying, we're going to do that. We're going to do that pretty soon. We're going to do that maybe this season, which, of course, it is this season, that the numbers aren't going to be put in, uh, and, and you're going to see what happens. But for right now, it's just a big deal that it, it almost happened. Um, moving on, uh, there's another bit with uh, Kate seeing uh, her horse again. And to me, there's a certain irony. Kate sees the horse when she is sleep-deprived, uh, which is to say she, the smoke monster— kind of goes to her, uh, coincidentally or not, at this time when she is sleep-deprived and kind of raw around the edges. Uh, and the irony is that when Jack was sleep-deprived, that's when he saw the smoke monster as well in the form of Christian. So anyhow, in Kate's flashback, she's heading to Tallahassee, uh, and uh, the myster- there's a mysterious jerk behind her and it's asking why she's going there. Is there anything good to do in Tallahassee? We only see him from behind, and then we get kind of Kate's uh, responses in close-ups of her. When she finally turns around, it's the Marshal, Eddie Mars. It's a really nice reveal. It's smart editing. I'm assuming it was scripted that way. It just kind of has that feel of, you can see on the page it says, you know, man shown from behind. Man says, "Where? why would you go to Tallahassee? Close-up on Kate, blah, blah, blah. Man from behind. Tallahassee stinks. No offense to the Tallahassee listeners, The the many, many of you. I'm sure, but um, it's just, it's a really neat, uh, nicely put together scene, Um, and with that, we get a tad more of Kate.
0: Do anything? Oh yeah, you did. Your mama
1: gave you up, Kate. There's just so much there—the mommy issues, uh, the notion of this easy arrest. You know, they—they send uh, maybe it's four or five guys to arrest her. Uh, Marshall Mars is able to just—you know—boom, slap the cuffs on. You're under arrest. Uh, So many times in in TV and movies, and probably in real life, that's it. That's the arrest. That you know, it sticks. Um, Even kind of tells her don't run. Uh, it's just uh, it's absolutely fantastic. Good stuff, good stuff indeed. Um, after that we see a little bit of Charlie uh, playing the guitar and uh, it reminded me that we are a few episodes away from his halfway mark in the series. Think about that halfway through season two will be his halfway mark through the uh, through the show given that he dies at the end of season three. With that, we uh, move back to the hatch, and we have Builder Michael in the hatch, uh, giving us some delicious builder wisdom, as well as some foreshadowing for more fun to come.
0: Hey, Locke, what's up with the blast doors? Blast doors? Yeah, like in case of an explosion, they come from the ceiling. A hey, guy down here, uh, Desmond? Desmond, he didn't tell you about these. What they're for? No, no, he didn't. But he did leave a movie. Movie.
1: Yeah. It's another scene that's kind of serving many masters at one time. Uh, not only do we have this foreshadowing of the blast doors, and I mean, to me, it's it's so blatant as to really just to be something where you say, you know another mystery about this place when are they gonna you know when are they gonna address it I can't wait it's so exciting um, but there's also an opportunity for some general recap maybe for for some of the less uh, less hardcore members of the audience or for new viewers uh, the guy that used to be in here what's his name Desmond then they reference the movie um, which you know of course then helps propel, propel the plot forward uh, because as we'll discuss in a bit, Echo uh, you know, has the, uh, the new uh, film clip to add to, to that movie. But anyhow, I mean, it's just, you know, uh, right after the clip we just heard, there's the scene with Locke, Michael, and Echo. They're talking about hatch mysteries and Locke watching the movie. It's just this wonderful, uh, wonderful old time here. Then we're off to Kate crying in the jungle, Jack acting upset over the fact that she left her job as his nurse. It's interesting characterization, don't get me wrong, but would we be having this discussion in the woods of, of uh, Kate you know, Kate feeling frail and upset and whatnot? Would we, ha- would we be having that if it wasn't a requisite Kate episode? Kate being the, the leading lady of the show, so you have to fill her episodes with something, right? Personally, I'd rather see the tailies integrating with the new people and or Saeed dealing with his grief and or uneasy scenes with Saeed and Anna Lucia. Uh, and or Locke and Echo sharing wisdom. But no. We have Kate kissing and Kate whinnying about a horse. Get it? Whinnying? Anyhow. Um, when Michael, Echo, and Locke watched the movie, I couldn't help but notice that it's in widescreen. That's really worked out well, right? How did they know the TVs would be widescreen? Um, There's excellent camera work after that. Michael and Locke hash out the bits and pieces. Most of it kind of rehash, uh, but valuable nonetheless. But the camera slowly zooms in on Echo, who's blown away because he's seen the film piece, which he's carrying, which is unbeknownst to us upon first viewing at this point. And it's, it's just kind of this realization, I think, washing over him that he's taken yet another step into this larger... Odd strange Dharma world, which we're gonna be inhabiting uh for the rest of this season in the Swan Hatch that we're gonna be seeing firsthand so so uh enjoyably in season five um and just to to talk about season five for the briefest of moments, I know some people were were irritated with the uh that time travel business in fact, I think just this past week, Lindelof shared. An article on Twitter that somebody else had written about how uh, – I think it was ultimately how the F word should be used on TV more, should be allowed, uh, and think what Sawyer would be like. And then it somehow starts to – the article that he shares, which was not written by him, then starts to talk about uh, how Lost really you know fell off the rails and jumped the shark and all that uh, when they went back in time. To me, I say no. I see a certain parallel in the structure of the show. In that, season one you introduce everything. Season six you conclude everything. Season two you see a dharma hatch. Season five you see dharma. You see other dharma, quote unquote, hatches. You see more of the dharma. Well, not even quote unquote. You you see the swan being built, et cetera, et cetera. So you're you're seeing dharma season two, dharma season five, um, et cetera, et cetera. So anyhow. Can I say I'm a big fan of the show? Surprise, surprise, after 33 podcasts. Um, Back to this one, though. There's another bit of irony that really only struck me when I was watching the episode for the podcast. Kate is caring for this man that she wants to love. And her flashbacks are about an abusive man that she's been trying to escape. Uh, And what happens on the island? The man she loves physically attacks her, albeit in a fever stupor. So again, she's kind of... uh, uh, I think this is something that's, that's come up in the podcast before, and I'm, I'm 100% sure that it was from an email from Bonnie, that the likelihood of, of somebody in Kate's position uh, you know, pre-crash, pre, even perhaps pre-murder, just somebody who's in that, in that rut in life, the odds of them getting out uh, are, are, are of that type of life are slim indeed. And here we kind of see it for the briefest of moments. Here she is back dealing, you know, she she's become her mother in this episode. She's caring for a man who's uh, certainly in his, you know, whilst in his fever stupor, he's no good. He attacks her, tries to kill her, abuses her, et cetera, physically abuses her, et cetera. So here she is going to back where she always wanted to escape. So well done, Lost. It's also great having the marshal back, too. Uh, he's just so good at monologuing. Uh he has a long monologue, which I haven't done a clip for, because it really is just rehash about Kate's past living uh, in an abusive home. But it's just delivered so well. It's, it's great, great fun. And uh, speaking of great delivery, here's some from another character. I have something I think you should see. If you don't mind, I will begin at the beginning. Long before Christ, the king of Judah was a man named Josiah. Boy, when you say beginning, you mean beginning. At that time, the temple where the people worshipped was in ruin. So the clip just kind of goes on there for, for a while, well delivered, well written, uh, relating uh, how, uh, how uh, the book, which became known as the Old Testament, uh, was, uh, was found in the temple, and upon that much was built. Um, and a couple of thoughts about that. Interesting that he says long before Christ. Uh, it's a bit of a calendar touchstone. I mean, you know, to say something was long ago, uh, you could say long before Christ, certainly. But let's not forget that Across the Sea we took place 2,000 years ago as well, that uh, the, the, the mother of, uh, of um, Jacob and the man in black uh, showed up about 2,000 years ago. So just an interesting little moment there. Um, also, I am not entirely sure why Echo has that long monologue other than to show Echo having a long monologue, which is enjoyable, which is well acted, which shows some of the religious background of the character, which will only highlight our shock when we learn what an awful human being he was, uh, for, for so much of his, uh, life, uh, as the, the drug warlord, etc. Um, for him to say that that uh, you know essentially the, the the new temple and the the faith was built upon this book, and now I have a book which has something interesting for you, and that's the the film clip. Doesn't that suggest that much will be built upon this film clip? Um, I mean, I suppose from a story point of view, I mean, it is. I mean, right where this is at the the stage. Uh, when we're seeing these episodes for the first time, where so much is being built on these uh, little little nuggets that that they give us. and heck, if if they show a a shot of um of a bookcase, particularly in the hatch, uh, this was at a time where somebody was going to do a you know an hD screen grab, and all the different books would be uh, would be cataloged and uh, summaries spread about on the internet and and whatnot and discussed and and all this. So, Perhaps on the one hand, they're being a bit cheeky, saying, you know, now we're going to give you something small that you're all going to make a big deal out of. But as a perfect analogy, it doesn't quite work because aside from the fact that the film clip says, don't communicate through the computer, and Michael does at the end of the episode, as we'll talk about in a bit, and all the plot implications that that has uh, for the rest of the season, and I mean, certainly for Michael, for the rest of his... uh, living and undead life you know etc yeah but it's not like this is oh i don't know it's not like uh, they open it up and there's the name jacob or something like that that really that that much is built on and much has been built on um so i don't know i think it's just it's kind of there to be there to be interesting there to be flashy there because they have long plans for echo not knowing that the actor will will tire of of the the difficulty of working in Hawaii and making you know TV uh not just TV money but American TV money alas um, anyhow um with Locke having the film that, that extra bit of film uh there's we now have some extra info on echo this was echo who sat quietly during the first viewing of the film or his first viewing anyway uh somebody who's taken his time to consider who he's going to share this information with and to make sure that this uh, person he's going to share the information with is the right person. Because, of course, Echo is so driven by wanting to do the right thing. And from that highest of highs, we move to uh, our, the, the voice of the audience and Hurley acknowledges something, uh, well, <laughs> Hurley acknowledges something which we will discuss in a moment. so rose's husband's white didn't see that one coming for something you need early no it's wonderful because it's true it's wonderful because so many of us did not see it coming uh as we discussed uh when that reveal first occurred all that it all that it said about uh those of us who who did not consider that as an option uh, despite as as enlightened as, as most of us are, uh, just the fact that you the fact that 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 revelation uh, kind of uh, shone a light on your own uh, you know things about yourself that you didn't know and and whatnot. So it's nice that the show kind of acknowledges that. And I think there's a trivia bit at the end that uh, says something to the effect of they felt that it should be acknowledged on the show. The people didn't see that coming. And then, and then move on. Uh, and indeed they do. Uh, and uh, we from that point, we go back into Kate's flashback where she's gone to the recruiting office, the Army recruiting office, uh, to see her father. Um, we see Saeed in the background on TV for the briefest of sec- uh, seconds, uh, unlike other times when they've done this. Uh, certainly Hurley winning the lottery, showing up in the... Uh, the gin flashback comes to mind. Um, unlike those times, the next episode is not this Saeed episode where you know, Saeed dealing with the U.S. military. This is, um, uh, I looked it up before, I think it's something about eight episodes away, six episodes away. So especially factoring in when uh, when's going to be a rerun week or this sort of thing, they're really kind of planting far ahead. Um, and I had to wonder too, did Lost keep doing this sort of thing? These intentional little plants? I don't remember it as much in later seasons where you would just catch a catch a glimpse and try and file it away or or, or whatnot. Um, certainly as the show went on, they kind of, I mean, certainly there are some instances, I mean, talking about Jacob's cabin, but then not showing Jacob's uh, for so long. Um, that kind of thing occurs. But just these little, these little nuggets that, that don't, aren't meant to really be anything other than a little flash ahead, so to speak. But anyhow, uh, Kate shares that the step, or it's shared with Kate in this flashback that uh, stepdad was actually dad and dad was actually more of a stepdad, you know, and as if there wasn't enough daddy drama going on. You were five years old. I wanted to take you along with me. She wouldn't let me.
0: because I don't have
1: murder in my heart. I need to feel sympathetic here for Kate. Uh, essentially, the, the father saying, I love you, but I didn't love you enough to protect you from him. And uh, right or wrong, murder or not, that's got to be one heck of a thing to hear from the person your heart tells you is your father. Uh, and then to add to it that, uh, I mean, just that line about murder in your heart, and, and all that the word murder uh, uh, entails versus killing. You know, here he's a soldier. And I think in his mind, sometimes killing is justified for the greater good uh, and all of that. But that 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 he's not a murderer. He may have killed, but he does not have murder in his heart. Uh, whereas his daughter does. And it's just, you uh, have to feel bad for Kate. You really do. You really do. It's, while they never while they tend not to paint Kate in a glamorous light in these flashbacks i suppose you know by by painting her in shades of gray the converse is you know it's not bright rosy colors but it the converse is that it's not uh it's not black and white either and it's not kate equals bad uh just as it's not kate equals good it's just this incredibly troubled woman um anyhow we go back to the hatch at this point and it feels trite, frankly. That Kate thinks Six Sawyer is somehow channeling the ghost of Wayne, the stepdad dad guy. Um, thus, her dialogue with Wayne to banish her own demons feels trite. It just, to me, it just doesn't work. Uh, at least, it doesn't fire on all cylinders. It's not entirely ineffective, but it's just kind of like now Kate's going to have her moment to speak to her to her stepfather. Um, Luckily, more interesting stuff is going on in the hatch. You know, aside from Sawyer waking up and all, and he's all battered and he's not going to die. There's more interesting things going on.
0: Think about it. Somebody made this film. Someone else cut this piece out. We crash. Two halves of the same plane fall in different parts of the island. You're over there, I'm over here.
1: Here's the missing piece, right back. On that block. What are the odds? Don't no mistake coincidence for fate. So there we have it. Kind of one of the mantras for the show internally. I think it's also meant to be uh, a almost a stern reminder to the audience that, uh, as wonderful as all the, as the show is, as much as everyone's enjoying it, not every little last thing is part of a perfectly created puzzle that's going to fit together every single step of the way if you just wait long enough, Um, which is fair. Life's not that way. The show's not that way. Um, So be it. And uh, I mean, also, too, I think, you know, to a certain degree, it's kind of words to live by that, you know, sometimes there's just coincidences and sometimes there might be fate. But. It's up to uh, it's up to each and every one of us to kind of suss out the difference, so that we, uh, well, so we don't think more or less of our situation. It's not this this great success or this awful tragedy necessarily. It might just be a string of bad luck or a string of good luck. Um. Anyhow, the the final appearance of the horse is perhaps better on first viewing. Uh, it was such a mystery, such a big question mark with upon first viewing. Now it's just kind of. There's the man in black as a horse, yanking people's chains, seeing where the cracks are, getting a lay of the land. You know, eh. Interesting, but not not tremendously so. Um, However, when Locke and Echo watch the found clip, uh, it's remarkable how well it all works with the mythology of the show uh, and all that we know. Attempt
0: to use a computer for anything else other than the entry of the code. This is its only function. The isolation that attends the duties associated with Station 3 may tempt you to try and utilize a computer for communication with the outside world. This is strictly fundamental. Attempting to use a computer in this manner will compromise the integrity of the project and, worse, could lead to another incident. I repeat, do not use a computer for anything other than entering the code
1: so communicating with that computer could result in another incident which of course is a disastrous interaction with the natives i mean we know it wasn't actually the others it, we know that it was uh you know our our castaways but from the point of view of dharma what was the incident it was a disastrous interaction with the natives uh that set back all that dharma was trying to do um and what's the clip you know so, so the that clip there is also acknowledging the presence of uh, of others, essentially of non dharma people on the island, and if they're non dharma and they're non, uh, you know, they're non survivors, uh, in that you know, it's not people who are on age fifteen. It's not dharma people. It's it's really saying or it's really suggesting that there's this third group out there: the natives, the others, etc. And of course, it's implying very directly. Don't trust who you communicate with on the computer. And then what's, of course, the very next scene? Michael sees the computer with the text, hello. He can't resist that temptation, a la the apple, of the tree of uh, knowledge of good and evil. We're certainly going to have some, this is the first step towards more knowledge of, uh, of these people. Um, and what, of course, does, uh, does temptation lead to? What does taking that apple lead to? well you're offered the thing that you most want and it's the thing which will lead to your downfall as of course it does for michael in just a a massive massive way and in the end the the lost clip i think is a a warning amid this hatchley garden of paradise amidst all the comforts of home they've been told they can enjoy all the joys but you can never touch the keyboard for communication and when they do it's the fall it's the beginning of the end, as we see Michael staring at the words, Dad, and the starts turning his head. And with that, the episode is over. But Of course, the podcast is not. Let's now take a look at Lostpedia to see what bits and pieces there are that I've missed. Lostpedia says that when Kate visits Sam Austin, the TV uh, and the recruitment center, of course, as discussed, shows Saeed being pushed uh, into the back of a car. Uh, Sam knew Saeed when he was serving in Iraq during the Gulf War, as revealed in one of them. So something to look forward to down the line. Uh, Also, Lostpedia mentions in the special feature Access Granted on the Season 3 Blu-ray, Lindelof and Kuse said that it was indeed Walt who communicated with Michael on the Swan computer. I'm not entirely sure how I feel about that. I'm not entirely sure how Walt would have access to some of these computers uh, some of the other Dharma computers, although I will admit that I'm a tad fuzzy. Um, so certainly that's something to to keep filed away between now and the end of the season uh, in terms of all that we know about Walt and his experience with the others. Um, and on the flip side, too, there's a lot that we don't know. So if, you know, is it possible that he was uh, left in the room by the old dusty computer or that he was... Um, I don't know, that he was sent there with them knowing that, uh, that, that that Michael or that someone was by the computer. You know, perhaps. I'm not going to quibble with it much. Um, there's a... Uh, Lostpedia also says that a 2009 Comic-Con video, which is not necessarily canon, says Lostpedia, but I think it is if you look it up. Like, I would choose to count it as canon, that is to say. Uh, but anyhow, this video claims that Wayne did not die during the events depicted in this episode, and instead someone else did which is a reference to what took place in the flash sideways world of season six. So that was, uh, uh, that was a clip that was shown at comic con before the notion of flash sideways was introduced. And that was kind of the first, uh, um, you know, first little clue that something was going to be different, that the flash sideways world is going to be different. Um, and it's a fun, it's a fun video. Check it out on YouTube. Um, I'm not quite sure what you would search for, but, uh, well, certainly they gave you a start 2009 comic con. um, Lostpedia also says, this episode marks the first time in the series where Jin and Locke exchange dialogue, which is kind of shocking. Now, here's a further one. The next time they would speak to each other wouldn't be until season five in This Place's Death, which is just astonishing. I mean, I know there's a certain point, let's say, where, uh, you know, when Jin is heading towards the freighter, he's now not going to be with Sun again for some ridiculously long time. But, I mean, just think about that. Until, when you get to the episode, This Place is Death in Season 5, it will be the second time Jane and Locke have spoken to each other. Astonishing. And again, I mean, dialogue within the context of the show. I'm sure that they've been in scenes together where there hasn't been dialogue between the two of them, but just interesting. Uh, I mean, especially so since Terry O'Quinn is now on Hawaii 5 for what started out to be a, a small guest star uh, turn and uh, apparently it's been extended. So here he is, and, and, and I unfortunately don't watch Hawaii Five O, but um, you know here he is, kind of back, you know, the the two actors back together. As you know, probably very quickly they shared more dialogue on Hawaii Five O than they did uh, they did on Lost. But anyhow, um, Lostpedia also says when Kate and Sawyer both see the horse in the jungle, the hand of the horse's trainer can clearly be seen on the right side of the shot. You know, okay, fair enough. Last but not least, uh, Lostpedia says the missing footage from the orientation film that Echo gives Locke appears to have been filmed at a different time than the parts preceding it and following it. Francois Chow, uh, the actor, has a slightly different hairstyle. Lab code is slightly different, and the lighting is much brighter. Okay, I mean, that's fair. My response is this. It, yeah, it was filmed differently. And uh, I'm actually not going to quibble with Lostpedia about that. They had it under continuity errors. Uh, They didn't have it on some, you know, some sort of, uh, you know, crazy, you know, therefore it points to blah, blah, blah. It's just like, okay, they, you know, it was scripted at a later time. It was filmed at a later time. And, you know, fair enough. So with that, we can now truly start to wrap this podcast up. Let's look ahead to next week where it is episode 211, uh, pardon me, episode 210, the 23rd Psalm, which of course is a quite good echo flashback. Reminder, too, that new episodes launch into the website, iTunes, and the Lost Podcasting Network on Mondays. If you'd like to share feedback, there's tons of ways to do it. You can call the voice message line at 732-707-1815. You can uh, record your voice, especially if you have an iPhone. It makes it just a teensiest bit easier for me, but you can record your voice and email it. Or you can send a text email to lookingbackatlost at gmail.com. You can say hello to me on Twitter, where I'm lookingbacklost. You can visit the webpage, looking back at lost.podbean.com. And last but certainly not least, you can find the show on iTunes, either under the Lost Podcasting Network feed, or uh or in my own separate feed. You can find it on iTunes, where reviews, of course, are always appreciated. So thank you very much for listening yet again. It's always such great fun to be getting together with you. And I will speak to you all next week for episode 210, the 23rd Psalm. Take care. Bye-bye.